Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 357, BGA Awards for 2021. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a new awards. Anthony, we are back and it is BGA, Board Gamers Anonymous Awards for 2021. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, this is our one of our favorite times of the year. We get to look back and think about the games that we played, but not just the ones we played, but which ones really stood out as the best of the best. So sure. um, we've done this the last few years, and we have our golden Anana Meeple that's going to go out to uh, nine games in these different categories that really just stood out as fantastic and particularly strong Um in 2021, which was a very interesting year for like a number of reasons. A lot of just solid under the radar games kind of popped up a lot of like re-implementations and 2.0 releases, which we'll talk about specifically maybe in a category Um, (laughs) and some just really strong games that people have been looking forward to for a long time. So uh, all things considered the world being what it is, it was, it was a good game, good year for games. Yeah, absolutely. It was a very good game for all of these different categories, like just there are so many good games there. And as you said, considering the supply chain issues, the pandemic and everything else, it's actually shocking. It's actually shocking that yeah. we got so <laughs> many good games this year and a really good diversity of games too. It wasn't just like there was a thing and someone copied and pasted it a hundred times. I think this is one of the years looking back that it was one of the most diverse kind of, play styles and mechanics that were kind of thrown in here and from a lot of different companies across the board. So a lot of different opportunities to get great games to the table. Uh, These came out all different times during the year. Again, we're really, really waiting for those other games that have been like, you know, held up in ports or, you know, somewhere in a ship in the middle of nowhere or still waiting for that Kickstarter to get to us. Or for us in the U S there's obviously a lot of games that just, have not gotten here yet. So yeah. these are the best games that we have played and we've played a lot of them. And again, great year. Thanks to all the publishers. Thanks to all the amazing, amazing designers out there. And thank you to all of the gamers at the table that joined us this year. It was a fantastic year and we got some fantastic games. So with that, Anthony, let's get into our nine top categories for this year. So starting off the BGA Awards for 2021, we have Best Digital Implementation. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, so in the past, we've had multiple different ways of looking at this. And with the rise of Board Game Arena and Tabletop Simulator and all these different services that run in your browser, Steam, (laughs) combined with all the apps, which are bigger and better than ever for board games, there's so many of them. Um, we just have digital implementation, just Mm -hmm. everything, right? It covers all of our bases. So whether it was in steam board game arena, Nintendo switch, whatever, it's all in there. Um, and so these are the four games that we thought stood out the most. Um, but this was a really good year for this. And it honestly, at this point, most years are very good years for digital implementations because a lot of board games are just like when they're published, they're already in a pipeline to get a digital version. Sometimes we get a digital version before the game comes out. We were all playing Carnegie on Board Game Arena back in February, <laughs> and that game's not even out yet. Ten months later. True. So it's uh, 
one of the best parts of the hobby, especially <laughs> during, you know, all things considered with the pandemic, being able to play games online has been just a blast. So all that said, digital implementation, um, we picked four games, uh, three of them a little bit heavier because those ones are the ones you're like, how did you pull this off? And they are uh, Concordia Digital Edition, which came out for iOS and uh, all the various devices and Steam. Uh, Brass Birmingham, which I think is just Steam. We were checking earlier. I think we only found it in Steam. Gaia Project, which had an app version. So I have it on Steam as well as on my iPad, as well as on Board Game Arena. Uh, And then Fox in the Forest, which had a really, really beautiful um, uh, Steam implementation that we talked about a little bit. So, and we've played all of these because this is not an area where we have trouble playing games at all. Because they, <laughs> once as soon as they're out, we are in there playing them. All right, Anthony. So again, four great games that you got a chance to get on the tablet. Obviously, not necessarily on the table unless you have your phone, because a lot of app implementations here. And Anthony, the winner is Concordia Digital Edition. Absolutely, yeah. So. This is from Akram Digital. Uh, just a fantastic. We talked about this a few weeks ago, and it's just mm-hmm. out of the gate. Just worked perfectly. Took a mm-hmm. big sprawling board, lots of cards, and it just made it possible to play this game quickly, smoothly, cleanly with a bunch of people. Obviously, already built in to have implementation with new maps and expansions down the line. So much content in Concordia, and it's all going to be coming to this app. And I'm super psyched for it because this is a game that I've been saying I wanted to play by myself for years. And in the same year, we get a solo expansion and the digital <laughs> implementation. I'm like, you listen to me. You did it. <laughs> so it's great. Absolutely. Great job. Great job overall. Thank you so much. Excellent game. All right, Anthony. Next up is best family game. And we have four nominees for this. We do. Yeah. So um, we've reviewed two of these formally on the podcast. So you can go back mm-hmm. and find those reviews for Cascadia and Overboss. And then we talked about Living Forest two weeks ago because we played that at PAX Unplugged. And then Adventures of Robin Hood, I will be reviewing sometime in the future, but I have been playing that recently um, with my children. So uh, Cascadia is just a fantastic tile um, game. Uh, You're building a tableau with various different possible scoring combinations. Uh, These different Mm -hmm. animals from the Pacific Northwest I'm a little biased. It's where I'm from. So it's it's just fun (laughs) to see all these different wildlife and uh, the beautiful artwork on the cover. Uh, Overboss is taking the ideas from Boss Monster and blowing it up to the point where you're building the entire over map, right? You are the boss. You're building a whole map that the hero is going to have to run through to get to you. It's a tile laying game at at its core, but it's a blast. And the scoring is very simple and my kids absolutely adore it. Um, The Adventures of Robin Hood. This is Michael Menzel's follow-up to uh, Legends of Andor, which is one of my top 20 games of all time and my favorite adventure game, period. And it's a little lighter than Andor. It's it's designed for families. And it comes with a, just a beautiful hardcover book with Fantastic. all the different things you'll need to play the game. So Legends of Andor had decks of cards. This has a book, which is like 100-something pages with ev- all the different things you can find and pick up. The board has all these different pieces you're going to peel off to uncover various things. And just that sense of exploration combined with the storytelling, it's just beautiful. It's beautiful. You know, uh, the kids are just 
when I when we pulled it out, I was like, "You guys want to play this?" They're like, "Who's Robin Hood?" And I was like, "Oh my god!" Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I explained all that, and they're like, "That sounds fun," and I'm like, "Yeah, it does sound fun. The game is fun too." <laughs> so uh, we've really had a lot of fun with that. And then Living Forest, which we played at PAX Unplugged uh, two weeks ago now, is a uh, card based. I mean, it's basically Mystic Veil if you took out the gimmick of the like the see-through cards kind of going into those sleeves and streamlined it and made it more accessible to families so it doesn't have all these extra layers layered onto it um it's more forgiving in a lot of ways it has a lot of fun thing the artwork is beautiful all these different animals in the forest uh it plays very smoothly and quickly and the the combination with that and like the four different ways you could potentially win the game which so you have like different things you have to look for and to follow and track each other very accessible for the kids but there's a decent amount of thinking there too, if you want there to be. So this is like, like probably the one game we walked away from PAX being like, this game rocks. So it does. Uh, that was a lot of fun. So four fantastic family games. All right. So for our best family game for 2021, the winner is Living Forest from Ludonauts. Yeah. Like I just said, it was awesome. We both loved it, right? <laughs> we did. It was, again, one of those games like... It took a simple concept that we've played many times before and just didn't repackage it. It really revolutionized it in a, in a thematic kind of way. Like when you play any of the other games where you're kind of crafting your individual cards throughout, obviously Mystic Veil vale being kind of like the main one, you always feel like, oh, this is good, but basically I'm just kind of looking at, you know, certain kind of combinations of symbols and things like that. But when you actually play Living Forest, and since you are playing that with family, you want to be able to tell a story because the best way to teach and educate is through a narrative. And having the idea that you start off with this kind of like interesting kind of combination of friends that are helping you with the Living Forest, but then as the fire grows, you have to attend to that with water in order to put out. And if you don't, and if the fire burns things down, then you get cards in your deck that are fire cards that are just, you know, mucking everything up. And then you see the fire grow on around the forest and you build your own particular forest with those special trees. And then it's, again, it just, it gives you that kind of feeling throughout that you are building this larger narrative instead of just like, Hey, cool. I'm putting together a bunch of cards that I'm going to splay out and then hopefully not crash. And honestly, especially since we're looking at this as a family game, the fact that you don't crash, you still get something to do, allows you to have a little bit more fun with the game. You get to actually press your luck a lot more instead of just like, oh, no, I burnt out. I can't do anything. I have to wait you know, another five, seven minutes until everyone else plays their hands. I'm just like, no. <laughs> I know that's one of Anthony's <laughs> favorite part of board games when he doesn't get to do anything so uh-huh. yeah, yep. yeah looking forest <laughs> definitely blew me away at the convention got a chance to play really enjoy that game looking forward to getting that game in the regular rotation um yeah great game so congratulations all right next up is best economic strategy game so we are all about the big heavy crunchy numbers that comes together with games we do not shy away from those spreadsheets we look forward to putting all those kind of numbers together. Anthony, we're about economic games, right? Yeah, some would say too much. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
we get these comments every year um after this reward show and after our preview shows they're like you guys have so many euros what about other games like <laughs> that's what we play that's what we enjoy we are the euro guys we're not just you know just don't ask Obviously me for we... help with taxes because seriously like right. <laughs> it stops at the game table somehow my brain erases and going oh okay let me you know like when you play like brass or something like that or you play any of like those 18 double x games or you know city on the big shoulders where you have to kind of ca- do all those kind of calculations and taxes and you're like oh i could do all this until you look at a 1040 and you're just like i can't do any of this <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic yeah it is true it's true taxes suck uh, but games are great, and if you made a game they about doing your taxes, we would probably love it. We probably would. So who are our nominees here, Anthony? All right, so we got four games here that are big, they're crunchy, they're about economics, and just go, bear with me. Just bear with me. These are great. Um, <laughs> uh, first up, we got Coffee Traders. This is a, uh, at first glance, absolutely sprawling game. It has mm-hmm. hundreds of bits, all this different cardboard, but... That said, the design, the, the functional design here is fantastic. Everything has a place on your board. Everything has a location. Uh, every piece on the main board or your personal board is telling you what things do and how they do them. So it helps teach the game, but it also helps keep everything organized. And somehow a game with like 400 wooden bits doesn't feel too fiddly, right? It just, it all flows very smoothly. So this is a game where you are building plantations you are building different buildings and sending workers out you are growing different types of coffee you're fulfilling different types of contracts with that coffee um, sending it off to different coffee bars and ultimately trying to do the best job of running your fair trade organization which is partnering with these different plantations in different countries around the world so it's like a more modern take on economic games where instead of you know, the whole colonialism aspect that a lot of these games used to kind of really focus on. We're looking at fair trade coffee organizations and how the the, the flow of goods and resources has kind of changed and what that looks like. Sure. You know, so economically in the game, it's very interesting because you have like area control elements. You're trying to have the most influence in different markets, but you're also trying to balance all these things and be careful in your approach. Um, in terms of what coffee you pull and when you pull it. So uh, very, very interesting. Like at first it was like a little much. There's a lot of game there. It's kind of expensive. But after a few plays, it really synced together very nicely. Um, Kanban EV is a re-implementation of uh, Kanban Automotive Revolution from Vitale Lacerda. So brand new artwork from Ian O'Toole. Uh, comes in the big old Eagle Griffin box that we all know and love. And uh it doesn't change a ton of the rules from that original game. There are a few small tweaks. It has a new solo True. mode from David Turchi, but it's beautiful. And the re-implementation changes the flow of information throughout. And you are running an electric vehicle manufacturing plant, right? So you go through, you get your goods, your parts you pull in, you build stuff on the assembly line. You send the cards out to the test track. You go to the boardroom and you have your meetings to complete different objectives. Um, It's the definition of like economic simulation. You are simulating (laughs) how cars are built and it's fantastic. Um, Carnegie is uh, a game that it's not currently available physically, but everybody listening to this can go play it on board game arena because they (laughs) put it up there during their Kickstarter campaign 
last February, and it's still up, so you can still go play. And so this game is all about um, kind of building out influence across the United States uh, as this mega empire <laughs> of the early uh, 20th century. Um, but one of the really interesting things about this game is it is economic. You are trying to build influence. You are trying to build out your personal tableau of actions that are available and where your workers go and how they go. But also there's an element of philanthropy to it because Carnegie was a you know famous philanthropist. And so you're also trying to get your tokens into those different areas for scoring for the end of the game, um, which mm-hmm. is just kind of a cool twist that you don't normally see in an economic game. They're usually like make the most money in this one make the most money and do something with it, which is kind of a cool idea. Sure. And Absolutely. then the last one, Brick and Mortar, uh, is a Kickstarter game that just shipped out maybe a month ago. Um, and it is exactly what it sounds. You are building and running brick and mortar local stores. Uh, and so you run through various phases where you'll open shops, you will supply goods into the general market, which is done blindly with different cards that you have. You will then set the demand based on what people set their demand to, and then you will purchase those goods. There's almost never enough goods for everybody to buy, and there's almost never enough demand for everybody to sell. So there's a lot of bidding that happens, uh, blind bidding, to try to determine when you can sell, when you can buy, how you can sell, how you can buy. Um, It's really, really tight, interesting economic game. It can be a little brutal. People can get absolutely shellacked in this if you're not careful um if the market goes haywire in one direction or the other people can just like run out of money <laughs> um but the, the core ideas here and the interaction between the players is very very engaging and interesting so this is a game i really want to dig into more in the future um with larger play groups as well because it just it does some really interesting things economically all right so four great nominees here And for the best economic strategy game for 2021, the winner is Coffee Traders. Yes. So this big, I keep saying sprawling. I guess I don't know if that word is, uh, uh, it starts to lose meaning. You say it too many times, but it is like a lot of pieces. It's got a lot of pieces. If you put all the pieces out on the table, it would sprawl, right? There's no way to not sprawl that game. And Capstone Games knows how to sprawl a game. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's big it's a big board and your player board is equally big. It takes up a lot of space to play, but it is absolutely worth it. Um it's on the heavier end, there's a lot going on, but again, like the functional design, the graphic design of everything is designed to help you play it. And once you wrap your head around all the rules, it really flows. It clicks and it works seamlessly. So, highly highly recommend it if you enjoy any of this types of games, economics, or farming general anything like that um coffee traders is fantastic excellent all right so moving on to the best overlooked gem these are games of course that just don't get the attention that they deserve but we always like to bring those games up and front and especially those games that you should be getting to the table those games are typically our buys so anthony best overlooked gem all right yeah these are like you said, these are games that, I mean, we've probably talked about them because these are our favorites, but they're ones that yes. aren't getting like the love of the masses. Why aren't more people playing these? So uh, the first of these is Mini Express, which I talked about early in the year, I think back in April. And it's a uh, cube rail game. So you are building out train lines across the U.S. Everybody kind of owns stock in these various uh, trains. 
and you're trying to pick up different goods, it push you up these different tracks. How you score will depend on a combination of how many goods you have and where that train line is, and then where you are in relation to that train line. Mm-hmm. So very simple. Game takes 40 minutes, and it's quick and easy to teach. It does a great job of introducing cube rail mechanics in general. Um, has a lot of different variants of how to play. And it's pretty because it was kickstarted and, and they did a good job. Nice. Uh, Botanic, I've talked about a couple times. is a two-player game. Um, ridiculous, crazy artwork. I always leave with that because it looks insane. It's it, it's just the scientist on the cover with four arms, like planting things and working these different machines. And that's kind of the artwork. So you're building this big, huge contraption uh, with these different machines, and you're trying to get the most flowers and plants in there for your scoring. And the mechanic for drafting those out is super clever. For It's a two-player-only game. It's quick. It's like 20 minutes. And it's such a brain burner. It's fantastic. So if you're looking for a quick 20-minute brain burner a filler, um, right up there with Seven Wonders Duel, Botanic is like a new go-to for me. Cora, uh, Rise of an Empire. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. We played this at PAX Unplugged. Um, this game does a lot of very interesting things and it's relatively new. I know, uh, you know, this is not like an early year game like the other two, but it's been out for a few months and it's just not seeing a lot of people talk about it. Um, which I, I find to be a shame because it does a lot of really cool things with like the, there's like seven different tracks you're trying to maneuver and manipulate on and you're building a tableau of cards that kind of affects all the actions you take and then your own actions will be determined by what your die rules are and what your citizens, how many citizens you have and when you use them. Um, we really had a blast playing this. And then brick Definitely. and mortar um, again, which I just mentioned for economic strategy, but this game, it was kickstarted. It came in not hearing a ton of buzz for it, but it's kickstarted. Like it's, I hope it picks up. I want more people to see this game and play it. Um, so, uh, so far, you know, not kind of building that buzz at, a game that I think this good should, uh, but hopefully it does over the over the coming months. Very cool. All right. So for the best overlook gem for 2021, the winner is Mini Express. Yeah, man. Cube Rails. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are a lot of them, and there's a few that have come out recently. Uh, the Capstone has a whole series that they've released in the last two years. And they're all very good. But Mini Express is, for, for my money, just several steps above all of those. It's accessible. It's quick. It's pretty. Um, lots of different variants on how to play it. Great solo mode and small box. So it's it's not, you think train game, economic train game, you think big sprawling thing. It's not that. Sure. It's very accessible. All right. Next up is our best Kickstarter campaign for 2021. Anthony, what do you got? All right, four great Kickstarter campaigns. These are campaigns that ran in 2021. So Mm -hmm. uh, these games, with the exception of one of them, I think, are not things we have played yet. Um, Some of these might be available on like your tabletop simulators or print and play or something, but they're not officially available in any form. So uh, first of these is Root, the Marauder expansion. Uh, This is the third full kickstarter for root um and it it will bring in two new factions uh to the game as well as the idea of kind of these um hirelings so not just new um classes uh to play with the the two new factions 
but you're going to get hirelings, which allow you to kind of bring in um, additional characters to the game, right? With different variants. It's adding like dozens of new variations on how to play, which is great because the game already has so many. Um, This is one of my favorite games of all time. And just adding that much new content is just going to be fantastic. I'm really, really excited for it. Uh, The campaign was a lot of fun just because they had all this different information. They ran all these different uh, updates to kind of show you what they're working on. They're always really open with, you know, print and play material, letting people see the development of the game in real time. Like all of their campaigns have been like this. They had like a whole fan. uh, I don't know. I forgot what they called it. Celebration contest. Um, my daughter actually entered and <laughs> won a stuffy for her artwork of the root card back. Um, so it was just, it was a blast. It was a lot of fun to follow this campaign. And I'm also really excited for the coming release of the the new expansion. It, I don't know when it's coming, but um, it was set for early 2022. We'll see with the boats. Um, next one here uh, is one that uh, Chris, you and I both backed. Hegemony, uh, lead your class to victory. So I know you followed this one a lot closer than I did, right? Yeah, it was a really interesting campaign. This is a first-time designer coming out here talking about all the different social economic classes that kind of run society. So everything from the worker class all the way up to the government and everything in between. So it really kind of scored points from offering a lot you know, or basically a bang for your buck. It was giving you a lot of game for a reasonable price. Again, and again, it goes back to one of these ideas that when we talk about the best Kickstarter campaign, we're typically trying to talk about the games that really kind of set the standard for what Kickstarter really is. And this was a situation where you were backing to support a game to get it out to the market that would not get there otherwise. And I think it was for like 59 euros. I'm not sure what the current you know cost of that might be, but really really inexpensive for a really well detailed you know euro game that had like amazing stretch goals for really great pieces but especially had a free educational book with every pledge this was not an add-on this was not something else but a 46 you know printed page book to kind of give you the idea and the concepts through political science about how these different classes operate uh, you know, in conjunction with each other. So you get to learn something about the game. It's incredibly thematic. The price is fantastic. Uh, the pieces, the production looks to be great. And again, it's a first time person putting a game out there. So yeah, great game. All right. Yeah, no, I, you talked me into it when you talked about it the first time. So like I backed it as well for, for all <laughs> those reasons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Next one up, we had to mention Vital Lacerda cause he had two big Kickstarters this year uh, with Eagle Griffin. Yep. Um, we had the most recent one, Weather Machine, but the one that really caught our attention was On Mars Alien Invasion. Yes. So th- this is a huge box expansion for On Mars, which was our game of the year last year. Yes. So definitely go back and listen to that. Fantastic game. And it brings with it multiple new modules to the game. So there's chapters, so-called. Uh, I think there's four of them. And each of them has a different player count. So the Invasion chapter is one versus many which is such a cool idea for a euro game Mm -hmm. um there is the outbreak chapter is two to four players as well as blackout and then monolith is a solo or group co-op game which kind of has similar mechanics to the co2 co-op and all of this is done by bringing in martians aliens 
the invasion they're attacking yes. you're on their planet now and they're unhappy so um each of these chapters has different components like so much work clearly went into this thinking through it and we knew it was coming for a long time because they announced it during the original kickstarter which was two years earlier and it's kind of evolved over time and the reason this was such a cool campaign um one the game was not crazy expensive although there was a like a weird thing with like an add-on for whatever reason um but it's 50 dollars for all the content that came here like four whole modules two they let you know tool off the chain right like his artwork um the cover for this is just fantastic like this is one like they do the whole like the play mats and the, the big tapestry type things they do for lacerda's games with o'toole's artwork this is the one i want it's just the the alien invasion coming down um so it's just fantastic i'm really looking forward to this a lot and it's a really cool approach to um it's expansion content in general and it's separate it's not in that original campaign it didn't make on mars cost 250 dollars. it's separate for those of us who bought it and liked it and want more which is cool very cool um, and then yeah. the last one clash of decks right you've mm-hmm. talked about this one a bunch yeah this was again we we talk about kickstarter a lot because it has has such a huge impact in the industry it's it's a standard now more than anything else it used to be one of those things like oh and by the way this is a kickstarter game now it's kind of the opposite where you have to talk about games and be like and this happens not to be a kickstarter strangely right. enough like they're actually gonna yeah. publish a game for once so like i talked about hegemony before the idea of Kickstarter being an opportunity to back a project that normally wouldn't have a voice out there in the industry. This was a really smart idea. Clash of Decks season one basically was their starter deck. Now, if you don't remember me talking about this, basically it was another game that was trying to be the solution to CCGs. So basically you get a single deck and then you and your opponent choose or draft from that particular deck. And then that's your hand of cards that you have in play, including basically your base or your health point. So as you play cards, you strengthen or weaken your base. And as you get hit in that base, it moves down the chain, eventually flips. And then that's your last chance before it runs down the chain a second time. You can play this on Board Game Arena, which was fantastic. They had a free print and play, which is fantastic. But again, that never seemed to move me personally. But Clash of Decks to Season 1, they were actually giving away that first deck for free, and then it was like $2 shipping. And again, it seems insane that you would actually do this, sending a physical copy of the game, even though if it's a single deck of cards with a you know card box. But they did it, and it was 2 bucks, and I got it, and I was shocked, and I played it, and it's a great game. And then they came out with Clash of Decks Season 2, which is six standalone card decks that you can kind of play, you know, individually, or there's drafting that comes along with it. And they made that also completely financially feasible for you to back and not worry about whatsoever. So if you back the second campaign, you still get the free deck. There's a bunch of different add-ons that makes this game incredibly cheap. So getting everything in the game, all the decks, all the special freebies, the customize, all that kind of stuff, $30 euro, which again is kind of crazy to think that you're getting so much of a game so inexpensively, plus you actually got a chance to play the game. That's something I've been harping on for many years now. Let me play the base game and I'll be happy to back all the stuff. And I did. I played the base game. I backed all the stuff. I even backed the extra stuff that I really didn't need, but I was like, 
hey, you gave me a shot. Let me back all the little accessories that come along with it. So yeah, fantastic campaign. Yeah, it's just, it's so nice to see consumer friendly campaigns because so many of them are aggressively anti-consumer. Oh my God. Yeah, we were talking about this earlier. Uh, You know, Sentinels of the Multiverse was a game that I, I really love a lot and I own so much of it. But it was also a game that when they came out with Freedom 5, which again was based on Defenders of the Realm, a game that's like been my number one on and off forever, I was like, of course I'm backing this. And I backed it for like, I kept backing up because they kept adding new stuff to the campaign that was like, buy it now or else. I backed it for $200 and they were still adding stuff. I think it was like close to $400. I'm like, I'm out. Like I've not even played the game. And I'm out. I'm sorry. Like this gave me an opportunity to play the game and actually back everything. So really smart campaign. All right, Anthony, with that said, let's talk about the award winner for best Kickstarter campaign for 2021. And the winner is, of course, it has to be Clash of Decks. Yes. If you're going to be nice to us, we'll be nice to you. (laughs) Absolutely. And again, friendly all the way. It's a great little game. It's nothing like that's going to blow your mind, but it's a great little game. And again, quality through and through. So yeah, by all means. All right. So let's talk about the next nominee. This is best 2.0 release. Anthony, tell our, you know, our listeners what a 2.0 release actually is. Right. Yeah. So 2.0, what we mean here Uh is that they've gone back to the drawing board with the base game or the original game. And they said, how can we improve, change, retheme, update this in a way that it's still very familiar, comfortable, people who've played the original game will be able to come in and recognize what they're doing. But it fixes things, it updates things, it makes it quicker, it streamlines it, whatever it might be. It's different for every game that attempts it, but you know it when you play it. And there were a lot of these this year. They were a ton that came out throughout 2021. We didn't. We weren't able to nominate all of them. We didn't play all of them necessarily, but these ones in particular did a great job of staying true to the source material, making it better, and making it worth considering picking up. Right to the point where some you might even consider owning both. So um, we have five nominees: uh, Kemet, Blood and Sand was the first. This yes. was a Kickstarter campaign that brought it brought Kemet back. It brought up a lot of the uh, expansion content in and added new expansion content. And it gave us things like playmats and green pyramids and all sorts of cool stuff. Right. And it really, really, it's a fantastic version of Kemet. It's still Kemet, still the Kemet, you know, but it did change a lot of things. Um, Kanban EV, we already talked about not as many mechanical changes as like a Kemet, but just a fantastic implementation of the game in a way that the original was nowhere close to. Like that, it's just so much more, so much better. Terraforming Mars, Ares Expedition, um, also colloquially known as Terraforming Mars, the card card game, it's already a card game, right? Uh, is a smaller boxed, quicker, like race for the galaxy style take on Terraforming Mars. Has its own issues in terms of, you know, like actual quality you get if you go to Target and buy it off the shelf. But the collector's edition with all the stuff that came in the Kickstarter is fantastic. We've talked about this game at length before. Uh, Summoner Wars Second Edition is the, the master set is bringing back and re-implementing everything we knew about Summoner Wars, which was one of our favorite games of all time eight years ago. Fantastic sure. game from Plaid Hat Games, 
all new artwork, which was one of the major issues with the original. Uh, some significant mechanical changes, including Chris, you were talking about the walls earlier, right? <laughs> yes. Somehow you can somehow a wall is a place you summon. So yeah. I don't know. Really magical stone slash bricks for some reason, but okay. Yeah, magic bricks. But now you have um, portals, which make a lot more sense. Yes, for summoners, it makes a lot more sense. <laughs> um, and just bringing that game back in general is fantastic. It's a great game. And then yes. Unfathomable, uh, bringing back the mechanics from Battlestar Galactica, which is permanently out of print because the license is gone and there's no will or ability to get that back and reprint it uh, for Fantasy Flight with Cthulhu stuff. But it works and it makes sense. And it, those mechanics are amazing and it should be in a game. And they did it. They brought it back. They found a way to do it. So mm-hmm. uh, all five of these fantastic and different ways of doing it. But they're all kind of a 2.0 re-release update to a game we all knew and love. Yeah. And again, this seems to be something that we're seeing more and more these days. I mean, once upon a time, there was like, there was a game. It was released. If you can find it, great. Or every once in a while, the game was re-released, but it was basically just re-released. It wasn't changed. So these 2.0 editions are now more than ever the standard. So it almost kind of like makes you wonder if you should even back a game or buy a game because there'll eventually be another version right. of the game at some point. So it does right. it does it just are you a little crazy. You're like, I have this and then I have this. It's a little bit better than that. So yes, your 1.0 and your 2.0 version. So for 2021, the best 2.0 release is Kemet Blood and Sand. Now, I have loved Kemet since day one, played Kemet since day one, and all of the expansions that go along with this. And this very much reminds me of the Stonemeyer kind of viticulture thing where it's like, mm. at some point, it just became so bloated and so massive and so unwieldy that you knew there is a great game. And Viticulture is a fantastic game. But the fact that what we have here at Kemet Blood and Sand is that they really went into all the expansions, picked out the best parts, upgraded the game, rewrote some rules, made things a lot tighter, and also gave you an opportunity to play the games in different ways. I thought it was fantastic. So, yeah, Kemet Blood and Sand was kind of one of those weird things where you did have the 1.0, and you had a crazy number of expansions, but the 2.0 was so overwhelmingly, convincingly better that I had it back. You know the whole the whole campaign. Yeah, yeah, both of us. Yeah, we both got it, and we both played it multiple times when it came in because it and it's it feels like a new ish game, but it still feels like Kemet. It's not a new sure. new game, but it got it back to the table. Like it felt like when Brass, the new versions of Brass came in. You're like, oh, we have to play this constantly now, even though this game's been out for ten years. <laughs> <laughs> right, and that's Kemet, but now Blood and Sand just makes it so much more accessible. The the Essential Edition uh, comparison is perfect because that's exactly what it is. Yeah, all of these are good. All of these are are worthy, but yeah, Kemet Blood and Sand did a Herculean effort to kind of pull everything together and then just put something out there that was exceptional. So, all right, next up is the best solo game for twenty twenty one. I think I know a solo gamer right here, my friend. Come on. Solo game? Solo game? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's this this kind of category is very different than what it used to be. Um, because it used to be there weren't a lot of solo games. But now most games are solo games <laughs> or can be, right? Um, if you go back through all of the uh, 
nominees we've had so far, most of them could be played solo in some form or another. Mm-hmm. But these ones in particular, um, I chose these because uh, for me, a solo game is one that has dedicated solo rules. Obviously, you need that, but is also relatively quick to play and has many different iterations, right? So you're not just like doing a high score chase. You're not just playing through a co-op by yourself. You are trying to accomplish something and it won't take you forever to accomplish it. That's for me, right? That's my criteria. Some people want it to take forever. They want to sit down and play for four hours at a solo game. No. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I have trouble with that. If it takes too long, it's hard to get myself to sit down and set it up. So these are a little bit quicker. Not super quick, necessarily, but a little bit quicker. Um, The first of these is Railroad Inc. Challenge. This was a a Kickstarter that ran um, last year. And so there was the green and yellow editions of this. And what the challenge does is it's the same idea of what you had before um, in Railroad Inc. You get the little flip box, the magnetic thing. You have the the white dice. You have a couple um, specific colored dice. Before it was red and blue. Now you have green and yellow, very Pokemon themed. Um, And the difference now is that you have uh, more interaction because of the in-game goals. There's goals you're trying to accomplish while you're going. And there's a bunch of them. So I'm not going to run through them. But if you wanted more interactivity and more variability um, in your roll and write, this is this will do it. Right. But it's still a roll and write. So solo all day. And if you back the Kickstarter, there are like 500 different ways to play this game now because it had like eight or nine additional mini expansions to go with it. So many, many different types of dice to play. Um, I played this game a bunch and I still have not played all the different versions that I bought in the giant box that it came in. Uh, Next up, we have Final Girl. Mm -hmm. This is a re-implementation of Hostage Negotiator and it is a horror-themed game. So in it, you are the final girl, the trope from horror movies, the kind of survivor at the end and you're trying to escape the killer um, and actually successfully become the final girl. Uh, And so the thing about Hostage Negotiator and in turn Final Girl is that it's one player only. It's designed for one and it has brutally difficult rules because any solo only game has to be brutally difficult. Otherwise, what's the challenge, right? Um, There are multiple different modules here. So you can buy, I think there's eight of them maybe um, because this was uh, like just a whole kind of sprawling system. You buy the core box, you buy any of these different modules and you can play through what are essentially like skinned over versions of like famous horror franchises. Um, they don't call them that they don't have the licenses, but there's clearly a Friday the 13th. There's clearly a nightmare <laughs> on Elm street. Um, it's a lot of fun. You really have to like the horror theme. Cause if you don't, you're not like, it's pretty strongly thematic, but if you do and you like just difficult games, this is really solid. Um, Imperium classics or Imperium legends. Uh, there's two releases for this earlier in the year. <laughs> Again, speaking of Pokemon, um, and it's the same game, exact same rules, but each of these boxes has different uh, civilizations that you can play as. So you have sure. the classics, which is like actual civilizations, and you have legends, which is like more mythical, um, not necessarily uh, historical civilizations. But it's a card-driven civilization type of a game where you're working through your deck and you're trying to solve these different puzzles, essentially. And it plays one to four players, but really it's a one to two player game, and really it's a sure. solo game. Um, it's designed by David Turchi, 
with Nigel Buckle. So it's it's a solo game. So, uh, <laughs> Cascadia is one of my favorite games of the year. Um, and I've talked about this a bunch, but basically you have you have the tiles and you have the animal tokens. You draft them uh, in together and you place them into your tableau and you're trying to put the tokens in various permutations to score at the end of the game. That's it. Perfect for solo play. I've played this game dozens of times now solo uh, and it takes maybe 15, 20 minutes. Um, the market refreshes just as you play through it. Uh, you can reset it and play it again. There's multiple different scoring cards for each of the different types of animals. So lots of different variability there. It's an abstract game at the end of the day, but it's an abstract game that plays really well solo. And I've gotten more play out of this this year. Probably anything else except for maybe Railroad Inc. So just a fantastic solo play. And then last but not least, a relatively recent addition to the list, Rolling Realms. This is the uh, ro- the Roll and Write game from uh, Stonemeyer Games that Jamie Stegmeyer claimed would never be printed. And then he printed it because <laughs> he finished it. He's like, why not? Um, it uses uh, a mechanic. You have like these different types of cards that you're trying to complete. There's nine of them in any given game um, in the rounds, and they represent each of his different games from Stonemeyer, right? So there's a Euphoria card and a Scythe card and a Viticulture card, um, which feels a little weird at first because you're like, this is like a the definition almost of a vanity type of project, but mechanically it plays really smoothly. It's interesting and it plays well and it's not terribly long. And second, they seem to be going down the route of bringing in other uh, types of games. So there's a Terra Mystica promo pack, right? That's not a Stonemeyer game. If nope. they do that, if they bring in other games and the mechanics are solid, um, which they are, then you have like an almost like a board game metaverse rolling, right? Which sounds terrible, but it's cool and I like it. So um, <laughs> this one's getting a lot of play. And if they keep doing that, it might get even more play next year. Wow. Yeah. That's really incredible. And I think, Anthony, what you said too about, you know, the particulars about solo games can't be overstated. I know that having played a lot of solo games during the pandemic got me to the point where I'm now purchasing solo games. So my big trouble with them is when you play a game, right? And we've talked about this a lot, right? Sometimes people say, you know, it depends who's playing the game, who's at the table, the number of players, the, you know, the skill level or the players make the game fun, right? That That's also something that people tend to bring up. You play a solo game, it's you in the game. That's yeah. it. There's no room for error. There's no room for someone to make a great joke or some kind of co-op or competitive element. You're just playing the game. It either works or it doesn't work. And I'll be honest with you too, like since everyone figured out that solo gaming, and I know you did the solo podcast forever, like is now a thing. So everyone's doing a solo element to their game or they're throwing solo games out there that are not solo games. Like it really is essential to actually play what definitively is a good solo game. So all these games are great solo games, but don't waste your time and money. Play the good ones because the other ones are just like, and a solo thing. I'm like, no, I've seen that before. (laughs) That is not good. That is not a thing you want to play just because you threw it on there. I'm sorry. No, it's like, one to eight players. I'm like, no, no, nope. no. no, no. <laughs> All right. So for 2021, the best solo game is Cascadia. 
Yeah. Yep. This is it's the perfect combination of simple rules, variability, and short playtime. Those are like my three holy grails in a in a solo game. Mm-hmm. Roll and rights are fantastic, and I will play them over and over again. But the replayability is based on the dice. Uh, Final Girl is amazing, but it's a little bit longer. And Imperium Classics has the variability, but the game it's a little more complicated. Cascadia just nails all three of those. All of these are amazing, and you could do well playing any of these five. Um, but Cascadia has uh, been my favorite solo game in the last year, and will be for the foreseeable future. Absolutely. All right. Next up is one of my favorite categories for 2021 best expansion. All right, Anthony, what are the best expansions for 2021? (laughs) Yeah, this is a tough one for this year uh, because expansions are like you get new content in and everybody's excited to play it and you go to your game group and oh, wait, game groups, right? Not so much this year. Uh, (laughs) No. (laughs) So, so, but there are a few that really stood out. One, Lost Ruins of Arnak. Um, we had the first expansion, which was like the freebie that they put up online, um, which just was the fact that it was free. Uh, the search for Professor Kutil um, is free. Print and play or the app. Amazing. And then they had ex- Expedition Leaders, which was a full big box, uh, $30 with a ton packed. of additional content. Yeah. So packed. Um, Pop that open. I'm like, there's so much in here. You guys are awesome. <laughs> uh so variable player powers uh new abilities and skills new cards new starting decks for those characters like just everything i would want in an expansion for this game in this Mm -hmm. expansion just perfect um grand austria hotel let's waltz so this added five different modules to the game um several of which address specific problems we have with the original game which is amazing but can be weirdly imbalanced at times so you have like the dance board now, the waltz board. You have um, the celebrities that you can bring in. You have the the bidding mechanic for player for like the abilities at the beginning of the game. Uh, the turn order mechanism changes. Like lots of different ways to play this game now, and it brings it back to the table, which is great because it's kind of a game that was back shelved for a long time. Uh, a personal favorite of mine, Marvel Champions: The Galaxy's Most Wanted. So there were two big box expansions this year for Marvel Champions. Uh, The Galaxy's Most Wanted is the one that really did it for me. This was, it brought in half of the Guardians of the Galaxy. You had to buy um, the rest of them, Drax and Gamora and um, Star-Lord separately. But you got Rocket and Groot in the box. And then five uh, campaign style um, encounters to go through. And they escalated great and they had some really clever, cool ideas. And the collector was such a fun uh, implementation throughout that. Um, it was just a really, really cool way to, to play through that. And especially that first box we had with Red Skull wasn't great. Mm-hmm. It was like, is no. this how you're doing campaign stuff? <laughs> this is bad. And Galaxy Most Wanted, we're like, no, no, okay, you do know what to do. Okay, good. Because <laughs> this is fun now. <laughs> Don't do the other one again. Um, all right. And then Glenmore 2. Uh, Highland Games. So Glenmore 2 just took everything that was great about Glenmore and just like blew it out and made this big, huge, amazing implementation of it with all these different chronicles and different ways to play the game. It was amazing. And then they're like, let's do more chronicles. <laughs> so um, they added three new chronicles and a dedicated solo mode to the game. And it's great. Just more content. It's And it's all really good. Like all three of them are good. Sometimes you get these module-based expansions and some are not good, but everything in this box is fantastic. Very cool. 
Yeah, and again, it's nice to see, I guess for the vast majority, like unless you did not own Grand Austria Hotel, these were expansions, like things that you could buy after the base game. So yeah, <laughs> yeah some really great games. And again, these expansions really up their game. So for the best expansion uh, for 2021, the winner is Lost Runes of Arnak, the freebie and the expedition leaders from CGE Games. Yeah, yeah, we put them again. We put them together because that that free mini expansion like tided us over while they worked Dude, on the big one. That was, was so like, awesome of them. Yeah, and it was good. It was a lot of stuff. Like I played through it three times. I got a lot of plays out of it. <laughs> and then expedition leaders is like everything I wanted. Just amazing. Everything. Yeah, they had that they had stuff to spare. And again, uh, great job from CGE there. I really appreciate that. And finally for 2021. Our game of the year, Anthony, uh, so much to say about this year. We talked about this at the beginning of the episode, despite all the delays, the the abstractions, the pandemics, the shipping supply, the blockage of canals and things like <laughs> everything that can go wrong did go wrong. And yet we had a fantastic year for, for 2021 and some amazing games, some really amazing games. And again, we've talked about so many amazing games here, but these are the best of the best, Anthony. Uh, let's talk about Game of the Year. All right. Uh, so first on the list, we have Dominant Species Marine. This game uh, is bittersweet. So it's it's the final release from Chad Jensen, who tragically passed away a couple of years ago. Um, and GMT saw it through the game wasn't done uh and they made sure it got done and it's just it's an amazing production for that and all the other reasons um dominant species is one of the great euros of all time it like helped originate the idea of worker placement uh (laughs) and in the way it does it and it's just a fantastic game um one of my favorites and this one finds a way to kind of take those mechanics and the ideas from the original game and modernize it you know the original game is it's still amazing, but it is, you know, 11 years old. Uh, it's been yeah. around for a while. And so this one kind of re-implements and reimagines it in a lot of ways. And it makes it shorter. Uh, it makes it more variable uh, for the player count. It works at a lower player count. It still has that same tension. It still drives the the mechanic of, like, people trying to do things to each other, like destroying each other's stuff. But... Now you're taking actions as you place your pawns and you are manipulating the pawn usage and you are um, getting special abilities that are different every game. Uh, it's not necessarily specific to your species anymore. It's specific to the cards that you pull early on and those can change sure. throughout the game. Um, it's just so, so amazing to be able to play dominant species in any form in two hours. And that's what Marine does. And it does it really, really well. Uh Next one, we've talked about a couple times already, so I won't go too in-depth on this, but Cascadia, again, one of my favorite games of the last year. It's it, We were talking about this before the show. It's not doing anything that other games haven't done in some form before. Like It's not like this brand new mechanic that's coming down from the heavens. It's amazing, but it does it so well. It's streamlined, it's quick, it's simple, it's accessible, and it's variable in a way that just makes me want to play it and play it and play it. And that's hard to do. Like, you can look at it and be like, oh, it just does this, this, and this. And you're like, yeah, but it's hard to make a game simple and clean and play like that. And it does it so seamlessly. Um, so Cascadia, again, just an amazing game. Uh, Praga Kaput Regni 
Uh, it's a game we haven't talked about for another category yet. This is from Vladimir Suchi and Delicious Games, and it is the follow-up to Underwater Cities. And so I think a lot of people were expecting Underwater Cities 2.0, and it's not that at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a very different thing, because that's what Suchi does. It's like, I'm going over here now, I'm doing something over here. Um, <laughs> and so you have this big sprawling board, and you, it's got like city building elements to it, it's got some puzzle elements to it. Um, it it's there's it's just so much different going on compared to like an underwater cities where you're building out your own personal tableau and the way you do and it's car driven this one is not so much right it's based on the wheel and the mechanics are fairly straightforward but at the same time you can really 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 get crunchy with it and it's it's one that Interest, like it's been interesting to me, like revisiting it a couple times throughout the year in terms of like it kind of evolves and grows, and there's so much more under the surface than you realize. Um, and then finally, Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition. Um, again, we talked about this before. Taking the core idea of Terraforming Mars, which is a brilliant game, but is sprawling and a little messy, right? Especially now with all the expansions, there's just so many cards, it's impossible to make sure you get the right balance of them in any given game. Still fun, but you know you can start to see the cracks after if you've played it a hundred times, right? Um, Ares Expedition streamlines a lot of things. It shortens the game. It gives you this very cool battle-tested mechanic that we've seen in games like Race for the Galaxy. Um, not exactly like that, but very similar in which certain actions are selected by players and everybody kind of follows through. And it just makes the game quicker more accessible feels tighter uh than what you get in the in the board game and it just plays very smoothly like i didn't expect it to be that clean and organized in in a way um that the board game honestly isn't even no matter how good it is um so taking away that board and just making it really focused on the cards really works well absolutely so a lot of good nominees here again everything that anthony said is right on mark um, Diamond Species Marine it was a wonderful revision, you know, enlightening in so many different ways, able to play that game in a record amount of time, considering what Diamond Species was jokingly, you know, kind of like referred to and like as in parks and recreation, like, what was it? Uh, cones, Cones and Cubes cones or something like that. Yeah. Cones and Dunshire, <laughs> which is just like, that's, that was Dominant Species. Uh, Cascadia, Anthony already talked about in great detail, fantastic little game, really did everything right. Ragnarokna Rikti, you know, like a, again, we use the word sprawling, I guess. It's the year of the sprawling game, I guess. But like yeah. wondrous mechanics, beautiful artwork. Again, it's another one of those boards that you just want to leave the game out the, the whole time. And Terraforming Mars, Ares Expedition, I already talked about it. It's actually, and again, I know this is somewhat problematic for some people, but like it's my favorite Terraforming Mars. Like it just, the collector's edition everything is really good card quality is not still still not 100 percent, but like it streamlines a great game until terraforming mars gets that kind of viticulture kind of effect to it it is really the definitive terraforming mars to me that's that's the game i'm going to be carrying around with me so anthony for 2021 our final and biggest award for the year game of the year goes to dominant species marine from GMT Games and designer Chad Jensen. Uh, again, incredible game on all accounts, does everything right. Replayability, complexity, but accessibility at the same time. The artwork is 
upgraded and really fun and dynamic. And yet it really has a deep and meaningful challenge and so thematic. That's one of the great things about board games, especially this one. So incredibly thematic that you really do feel like you're building out your species as it's growing and tackling all the different challenges that are happening. What about you, Anthony? I know you've already talked about it, but gush a little bit more for a second. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this was a game I had been looking forward to for years. When they first announced it, you know, well before everything that kind of happened, I was like, oh, great, like a a lighter, quicker version of Dominant Species, which is a game I love, but I've still only played it twice in my life because it takes four to six hours and it takes four or five people who are willing to just like brutally attack each other for four to six hours, right? Yes. Um, It's a brutal game. And so Marine just hits on everything. Everything it promised, it fulfills on. You know, it feels like the original. It has all these things that play that in ways that feel like the original, but it's unique and wholly its own. Uh, And it, it does it in such a way that it's almost a shame because I've, I've talked to several people or, you know, who are like, Oh, you should play dominant species Marine. They're like, Oh, it's, you know, it's too heavy. Those those games are too heavy. It's GMT. It's dominant species. I'm like, no, it's two hours. The rules are fairly straightforward. It's like a 15 page rule book. And I can teach the game in 20 minutes. Like it's really on par with any Euro in like the 3.5 range. It's not super heavy. Um, There might be some of you listening. like, sure. Okay. But (laughs) From our perspective, like it is lighter, it is easier, it is more accessible, and it does things in a more modern way. It feels like a game yeah. that belongs in 2021. It doesn't feel like a 2.0 of 2010, which is why it's not in our 2.0 Good release point. category, because it is Good a separate point. game. Yeah, But I do feel like I could own both games, too. I do own both games, and I'm going to keep them. Yes. Um, and that's the sign of an amazing game, right? It's just, it does everything it does perfectly, and uh, I'm always up to play it. Yeah, and there are very few games that are experience games that you're going to walk away from and continually think about like what you did or didn't do and how to kind of make things work and the challenges that it faces throughout the time. So, yeah, this is one of those games that will stick with you. Again, a masterpiece. And sadly, uh, his last game, uh, Chad Jensen, thank you so much. Our game of the year for Board Gamers Anonymous, Dominant Species Marine. All right, everyone, until next time, this is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat next year in 2022. Take care, everyone. Bye. Peace.